If you haven't heard by now, Underdog Fantasy is the best and easiest place to play fantasy football this summer. We've all been there in fantasy football leagues. It's Sunday morning and you're digging through news reports trying to figure out whether to start your stud wide receiver that tweaked his hamstring last week. Or you have a player on your team who hasn't been getting in the end zone and then one week suddenly goes off for 30 points on your bench. With Underdog Fantasy, all the stress of who to start each week is lifted off of your shoulders because it's best ball format. Draft your teams before the season starts and get the best score in your lineup each week. Right now, you can draft an Underdog's Best Ball Mania 3 tournament to take your shot at $10 million in total prizes. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with promo code PFF. Also, if you play 10 of those dollars, you get a free PFF subscription. Underdog drafts close before NFL kickoff. Not much time left here. So what are you waiting for? Go to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, play $10 with code PFF, and draft your best ball mania team today. Welcome in, everyone. We are here. The special Tuesday edition of Unexpected Points here. Monday being Labor Day. Hope everyone had a wonderful day off. I enjoyed my time with the family, with the neighbors. Uh, strong, I would say, immigrant community where I am here in Rockville, Maryland, about 45 minutes outside of D.C. Basically, every single family here either has a parent or grandparent that was not born in this country. And it kind of, it, it, it makes me think a little bit about a, uh, I don't know if we want to go back to school, back to school segment on this. Maybe I'll hit the little back to school music. Here. That's what I call marine biology. <laughs> a little, little clip there from Rodney Dangerfield, 1986 classic back to school. But it kind of reminds me of like the selection bias phenomenon here about, I don't know if anyone studies these now sort of out of out of favor for sure uh you know culture means this culture means that remember there's some books by amy chua very famously the battle hymn of the tiger mother and uh, another book that she wrote with her husband who comes from uh, a jewish heritage and there's all this talk about culture and this and that culture. You know, they're very successful students around in these schools uh, from immigrant children there. And, you know, a lot of it, and I'm going to steal a line from Adam Harstad here. For those who don't follow Adam on Twitter, you should do so. Uh, read a lot of his writing that came back to football guys, some foundational stuff, not only in fantasy, but also just thinking about the game. But his joke, and I think it's kind of true, is everything is selection bias. In other words, when you're looking at two groups of individuals and you're trying to figure out why group X is outperforming group Y, why there's a differential in a certain statistic, when we're talking about sports between different groups or players or whether they're, you know, lined up with one set of participation rates versus another, what, what's going on there? You could almost always pin everything on the fact that the the groups that you're looking at, while they may look similar, they may have similar attributes, there really is a bias in who is selected into one group or another. And I think in a real life example of that is when we're talking about the educational and then eventually, you know, job and monetary success of a lot of uh, immigrant groups that come into the country is that you have a selection of people who either A, got into the country because they were highly educated and you have a lot of different visa programs, particularly those that popped up 1965 and on letting people into the country based upon having, you know, a graduate or, or uh, undergraduate degrees in certain needed fields to come in. So of course you have a little bit of a selection bias there. And then you also have, you know, people who applied to come into the country versus those who don't and have gone through the process and are going to be probably a little bit more, more highly motivated there. So I thought it was an interesting display just to see everyone out here and all the different success of the different, of the different kids. Although I will say there's a lot of Russians in the community here. I will say, I don't know if this is a bias of mine personally. I don't know if you guys have bias uh, biases when it comes to different accents and different people, but I just generally think Russians are smart. Don't ask me why necessarily. Maybe it's because of 
having been involved in some chess stuff in the past. There's been some great Russian, uh, you know, grandmasters in that area, or whether it's, you know, great literary works by Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and all those guys there that, that have come through. But I generally have that, that, that bias in that direction. And it kind of brings me to another phenomenon. And I know I'm going a little bit of a diatribe here at the beginning talking about other things than the football. We'll get to the football in a second, but another interesting kind of life thing that came through that showed me another, you know, potential back to school concept here. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with the Streisand effect, but when I was watching the U S open over the last week, they're doing this very weird thing where for the Russian players and uh, the players from Belarus, players who were banned from coming to, to Wimbledon, which was a very, very strange. But for those players, when you see a graphical layout of all the different brackets, they have the flags of the various countries that these players are from in tennis. Of tennis, you know, massively international sport. Um, and then they just have a blank spot next to the players who are from Russia or from Belarus. And then... When the players are on the court and they have the name and then the abbreviation for the country, rather than having RUS for Russia or I don't know what it is for Belarus, um, it's just blank. Again, it's just blank as if it doesn't exist. And this kind of reminds me of the Streisand effect. For those who don't know the Streisand effect, maybe I should uh, detail that in a little bit more Um more rigor so you guys know exactly what I'm talking about here. So the Streisand effect was first coined after, you know, singer Barbara Streisand. And what happened was there was someone in California who was documenting what they called coastal erosion. So it was the erosion of the coast along California. And as part of these different shots, one of the shots was of this huge Malibu mansion that Barbara Streisand had, clifftop mansion that she had there. And then she and her attorneys sued this photographer who was doing this work, tried to get these photographs suppressed for a violation of privacy. I mean, the suit failed. And not only did the suit fail, and this is when we come to the Streisand effect, not only did the suit fail, but then this image of her house had been downloaded six times total prior to her suing to have this suppressed. And two of those times were by her own attorney. So only four times it had been downloaded by anyone other than Barbara Streisand's attorneys. And then once she filed this lawsuit, brought attention to it, everything else, the, the, the exact image she wanted to suppress ended up being downloaded more than 420,000 times over the following month. So it went from four downloads to 420,000 downloads, all with the intention, at least initially, of suppressing it. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of what we're seeing with the U.S. Open with not having the flags there for the Russian and Belarus players, not having the, the name there. It just makes you think, and it almost brings it to your attention, everything that is trying to be kind of suppressed or pushed out to the side. It's actually throwing it in your face, the fact that it's the weirdness of the whole thing of, of going away and the Barbra Streisand effect there. All right, so let's get into the football. That's enough of my little uh, weak diatribe here on things that have gone on. Let's get into the football here. And I'll first say that for those who are listening here and plan to continue listening during the season to unexpected points, the schedule is going to be a little bit earlier than we've been doing during the offseason. If you're gonna if you're gonna watch on YouTube, it's gonna be 9 a.m. on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Monday, a review of everything that happened on Sunday. Wednesday, a review of somewhat late review of Monday night football, and then a preview of the coming week. And then Friday, a in-depth review of the Thursday night football. So that's gonna be the schedule during the week. For this week, it's gonna be today and Friday. I'm gonna come back after the kickoff Thursday game and review that after that happens. For this particular episode. Let's talk about the news of the week, and then we're going to talk about week one, some markets, some betting markets that do not align with the numbers that I have. I'll go through all of that methodology for you before we get to it, and we can look at some you know, recreational 
little little money we can sprinkle in a few different areas if we want to have some fun watching these games this weekend. All right, the biggest news of the week, and it's a little bit old now, but I haven't had a chance to talk to you guys since it came down, is Russell Wilson's contract extension. And it's $163 million is really going to be earned over the next four years, no matter what. I think that's the way to really to look at this thing. I know that it is a four-year extension on top of a couple of years that are left. There's all this talk about guaranteed money. Why didn't he get a fully guaranteed contract? Will he get a fully guaranteed contract? What does this mean for Lamar Jackson and his ability to get a fully guaranteed contract? I just do not understand. And it's really annoying me. And this the whole Deshaun Watson uh, sweepstakes that happened where he was a de facto free agent and was able to get that fully guaranteed contract just brought this back into everyone's consciousness. And it just annoys me because the NFL is not a guaranteed contract business. I'm sorry. That's just the way it works. Quarterbacks are going to have to give something up in order to get a guaranteed contract. If they are not a free agent, that's the way it works. Russell Wilson is not going to get a fully guaranteed deal. Lamar Jackson is not going to get a fully guaranteed deal unless they give up something significant. And from their perspective, why would you give up money to get this guarantee when there's very little evidence, really no evidence of elite quarterbacks being cut and losing out on money that they would have been scheduled to earn in the non-guaranteed portion of their contracts. And there's not even that much evidence of non-elite quarterbacks who get big deals suffering greatly from the fact that they did not have a guaranteed contract. So with all that in mind, why would Russell Wilson only take you know, fewer years on as an extension here, they're going to have to guarantee everything, including the years that were left on it, and then say, you know what, I'll take an, uh, you know, $5 million less a year in order to do that. Why should you do that when it's pretty much a guarantee, the way this is structured and the way the rolling guarantee structure at the end, that he's going to earn, again, $163 million over the next four years, no matter what. It's going to happen. Will he necessarily be paid in his 39th and 40th uh, age years on these contracts? Maybe not, but it's not inconceivable at 45 million, 50 million a year for those, for those seasons that he'll still be there and he'll still earn that. And I don't think he minds giving up the guarantees on that in order to get all of this cash up front. He's not a free agent. Kirk Cousins got the fully guaranteed deal because he was a, because he was a free agent and B because it was a short term deal. So the deal kicks in on day one. It's a, it was a three-year deal at the time, fully guaranteed. Remember, this Russell Wilson deal, you have two more years left on the end of his last contract, then another four years. You're not going to get a six-year fully guaranteed type of deal out of this. Just not going to happen. Not going to happen at all. Lamar Jackson, while he is technically entering the last year of his you know fifth-year option for his contract, still with the franchise tag out there and he'll he'll probably be tagged if they don't do a deal before this season there will be another year there so that'll be lopped on to the end of the franchise tag and it'll be extended out there and he's not going to get that amount and if anyone thinks that you know Lamar Jackson may need these guarantees or would prefer these guarantees more than your normal quarterback because of his style of play because of the fact that he could could get injured i mean those are all reasons if the team is giving up that guarantee to ask for a concession on Jackson's part to take less money. Now we know Jackson doesn't have an agent. Maybe that's playing into it. We don't really know what his exact demands are on the guarantee side, but a lot of people are speculating because of the Deshaun Watson contract, how it's working. But the reality is that at least people in the media, people in the contract world and the agent world should know that it's farcical to think that players are going to be getting guaranteed deals. This is going to become like the NBA. The NFL is just different. And if players really want these fully guaranteed deals, they're going to be much shorter, especially outside of the quarterback position, and they're going to be earning less money. If that's what you really want, if you, but everything is a give and take. Um, I think it's illustrative to also look at some of these quarterback contracts in the future to say, okay, what examples do we actually have of guys who didn't get guarantees through the end, which is pretty much everyone uh, other than Kirk Cousins and now Deshaun Watson. So guys who didn't get guarantees to the end, how much money was really lost 
for the fact that they did not get guarantees. And we're going to go to the non-elite bucket. And I think I put Russell Wilson into the, the elite bucket for sure here. But even the non-elite bucket, Jimmy Garoppolo would be one here. Um, he signed a $137 million five-year deal back and I don't remember. Was it? I guess it was after the 2017 season because he came midway through 20, 2017, right? So it was for 18, 19, 20. 21-22. So this is the last year of his deal. So he is taking a slight bit of a pay cut this season for the fact that it's not guaranteed. Yet we talk about a quarterback who at that point in time had seven starts, I want to say, to his name before he signed this deal in 2017. And his team drafted a quarterback in the top three using a trade-up which cost them three first-round picks a year ago. And even then, a guy who's being, you know, not so gracefully pushed out the door, even then, Jimmy's going to earn at least $120 million of the $137 million deal that he had. For a player who signed this deal as a guy who had seven starts to his name at that point in time. If that's your downside, if that's your downside for not getting the guarantee... Think about all the upside that Garoppolo got as far as the numbers that he was earning on that on those contracts. I'm sure he's fine to take that. Uh, I mean, we had Goff and Wentz. They most recently earned their deals. They were moved to other teams, but you know they're not taking pay cuts. They're just moving to other teams, and their teams are taking dead money on the bonuses that they paid up front or they restructured, but they're still earning their checks, even though they're definitely not in that elite quarterback company. I mean, I think we really have to go back almost to Matt Castle is probably the last one where you have a truly not elite quarterback um, who played pretty well for the uh, the Patriots in the one year where Tom Brady was injured. They go 11 and five. He leaves. He gets a six year, $63 million deal and he stinks. I mean, sorry, Matt Castle, if you're watching, I'm sure you're, I mean, sure you're not, but if you're listening in uh, not good, not good. Still ended up getting ended up getting 46 million over four years. So the six year, $63 million deal, you know, he came up a little bit light there. He didn't get the 17 million over two years, but guess what? That wouldn't even have been the greatest APY versus the rest of the deal, ending up getting 46 million over four years is when he ended up getting. So very little downside there for quarterbacks, especially elite type of quarterbacks, for not taking the guarantees. So let's stop talking about the guarantees so much it's just flooding the contract market and news and everything going on there and i think it's just something we can we can let's just push it aside it's not an nfl thing and if people understand contracts should probably be a little bit better at making sure that everyone doesn't dive off the deep end when coming to these deals all right before we get to more stuff from the week and then eventually to the week one preview and best bets. I want to make sure everyone knows that now PFF, some of the research I'm going to be talking about here, some of my quarterback research in particular I'm going to be talking about here, we have an app available. You can get all of the research. You can get all the fantasy football advice. Those uh, procrastinating degenerates like my home league with my college buddies, we still haven't even drafted yet. We're going to do that. Um tomorrow night, believe it or not, the night before the uh, the season starts. All of that is still available, or you can get the week one information, week one rankings, week one pickups already for players who may have drafted earlier and now are looking at the waiver wire already. All the premium football analysis, the stats, the grades that are available here, the app is free to download and use as the 22, 2022 season starts. And you sign up, you leave a five-star review, with your 2022 Super Bowl prediction and the final score. And we'll share the best ones on this show and across the PFF networks. Okay, other things that are going on this week. One thing just got into my radar a little bit. And, you know, rankings are rankings. Rankings are the lifeblood of the football analysis business. It gets clicks. It gets people interested. I do some rankings where they're labeled as a week-by-week basis, but it's really looking back in the past using statistical analysis on different samples of PFF grades and EPA per play and then projecting guys going forward. And people seem to eat that stuff up quite a bit. And something came across my radar here. And 
I don't want to be too harsh, but I'm trying not to be too negative on social media. Got to let out a little bit of the hate. You know, if I'm going to do a little bit of hating, it's going to have to be something that I'm going to do on this podcast. So this is going to be a little mini haters ball sort of segment here on some quarterback rankings from friend of the show, Steve Ruiz over at the ringer. I hate you. I hate you. I don't even know you and I hate your guts. Okay. So at the ringer, for those who may have seen, they came out with some quarterback rankings Again, Steve Ruiz is the guy there. Steve Ruiz, I believe he's on my second episode of unexpected points. So he's a, he, he's been around, he's been around the block here on this podcast and uh, from different places, excellent information here that's provided for the rankings but what i will say what gets on my radar a little bit here and i'm going to contrast this to what is available for some quarterback rankings that i'm doing is there's a little bit of pseudo analytics and it reminds me a bit of the draft and if you look at draft grading whether it's from teams or whether it's from analysts who are part of the draft industrial complex They'll say, you know, I have a, he gets a nine in this category and an eight in this category. And then we total it up and the draft grade is X, which equals, you know, blue chip player. And the fact that there seems to be a methodology behind it, I think transfers the idea or expresses the idea of precision, of an analytical way of thinking there. But then a lot of that is going to quickly fall, fall apart if you just dig back behind it a bit and you just ask why to certain questions. You say, why do you use this scale? Why is the buckets broken up in this direction? Why would you say you want to draft a running back who scores an, a nine on this scale versus a quarterback who drafts a six on this scale? Like what is behind all of this? And that's where you're going to get a lot of hemming and hawing. That's when you get a lot of pointing to precedent of what's been done before. And you're not necessarily going to get a lot of real hard evidence as to why the methodology is the way that it is. So I, I got a reminder of this for these, for the ringer, QB rankings here. And for those of you who are watching on uh, the YouTube here, I'll go ahead and I'll share this. You can look at it. It's like giving free free advertising for, for the ringer. So maybe they, they, they should be happy about the fact that I'm, that I'm going through a lot of this here. So I'm going to bring up the ringers QB rankings here again. And the, the pseudo analytical part of this is if you look at it, a bit here, you get the idea that there are categories for how they're grading quarterbacks. And as an overall grade, which is based upon a mix of grading for accuracy, arm talent, creativity, decision-making, pocket presence, and pre-snap. Now, there can be some value in having metrics on there, but you have to be very, very careful about like, why are these the important metrics? How are you actually measuring it? What does a 99 mean versus a 90 in these sorts of scale? And I'm not sure any of these things could really be answered. Uh, Maybe I should have had Steve on the podcast to ask him if these things could be answered, but I'm not sure any of them can. And if you even look at the methodology behind how these things are mixed together, uh, it says that 25% of the overall grade is accounted for with accuracy, 25% is decision-making, 20% is arm talent, whatever that means, and then creativity, pocket presence, and pre-snap, meaning I'm assuming how good they are, pre-snap of diagnosing things, all make up 10%. Where do you get those numbers from? No idea. No idea why that's the mix that you ended up getting, other than the fact that maybe you iterate on that and the overall grade rankings that you get in the end, you're like, oh, those look pretty good. So I'm just going to go with that. And then the reason that I think it can be a little bit troubling is because it it gives the impression of some sort of objective fact-based analysis when in reality, you can just back into whatever grade you want for any particular player, whatever ranking you want for any particular player based upon these numbers that we have here. And there's even the, a very egregious example of exactly that. If you go down to 
uh, Lamar Jackson at number eight. Remember this whole kerfuffle over Lamar Jackson and his ranking and not being a top 10 guy and people, you know, throwing themselves off of the bridge, being so upset about the fact that he might be seen as being the 11th best quarterback. Well, Ruiz has him here at number eight. But then in the different categories for creativity, he gives Lamar Jackson 120, where nobody has higher than 100 in any category there. So you have to say, hmm, that's kind of interesting. You're like breaking the scale for this one player. I mean, I know he's elite. I know he can run better than any other guy, but a lot of NFL quarterbacks can run pretty well nowadays. And then you start thinking about, well, why is creativity at 120% here? And then you start saying, oh, well, this is just a clear lever. At least it looks like a clear lever to get the right ranking for Lamar Jackson. If he was a creativity of 100%, his overall grade would be a couple of points lower, which would put him lower if he had 100, right? 100 being the top, for which should be the top for creativity. His overall grade would drop two points because that's 10% of the grading. So which means it would put him below Joe Burrow at number nine, which is kind of a low ranking here for Burrow. It would put him below Kyler Murray at number 10. It would put him below Matthew Stafford at number 11, and it would have tied for number 12 with Matt Ryan. So again, you're giving this idea of, hey, I got these metrics here, and this is a science that I'm building this together and based on anything. But then you're just throwing the scale out the window in order to get Lamar Jackson up to number eight, where he would have fallen out of the top 10 and would have fallen to the exact sort of thing that everyone's complaining about, the fact that Lamar Jackson was not a, was not a top 10 guy. Now, just to contrast it maybe a little bit for what I'm doing for the week one rankings. And I've talked about some of the Bayesian analysis that I do before. So I don't want to get into it in too much detail here, but for the quarterback rankings, it's a lot simpler. It may not be giving as much information, but I think it's important that you're actually testing based upon what predicts what you want to get in the future. So when I'm using this sample-based analysis of grades, and I'm taking PFF grades and EPA per play, then bringing those together. Yeah, it's a pretty simple 50-50 mix, but I tested a bunch of different ways of mixing this together to come up with the best projection for how they're going to perform in an efficiency stat going forward. This is based exactly on their play-by-play grading. It's based exactly on their play-by-play EPA and it's weighted and it goes through the methodology here. So even if you disagree with the rankings, even if you disagree with the methodology, at least it's clear to you how it's being put together. It's easier for you to make your own mental adjustments based upon that. And it's not backing into any particular rankings. I mean, do I want to have Ryan Tannehill, who we're going to talk about a little bit later? Um, as far as the Titans' chances this year. Do I want to have Ryan Tannehill at number 10? No, I don't want to have Ryan Tannehill at number 10. But guess what? His grading has been the eighth best grading that we've seen over the last few years. And you could say, well, the grading is just wrong. If you want to say that, fine. But at least you know where it's coming from. At least you can say, okay, I get where the numbers are coming from. He's been He had the eighth best grade last year. He had the fifth best grade in 2020. He had the third best grade in 2019. And then in two and three of those years, he also had top five efficiency for what he did. So he has the numbers there. That is reflecting a real hard concrete fact, not a made up scale number. And you can then make the adjustments on that. And the other thing that I think is important here when we're looking at it and what I try to do here is everything is scaled versus an average quarterback in the NFL. So when you're looking at Patrick Mahomes and his EPA scaled number here is 2.7, that means he's 2.7 standard deviations above your average franchise quarterback. Um, Going back to the ringer ratings, nothing in any category is less than a 60. But what does a 60 mean? Nobody even knows what a 60 means. No one knows what a 50 means. No one knows what a 90 means. So at least this is explicit. I'm trying to be explicit with the quarterback rankings of being able to say this is exactly how it lays out versus a franchise-level quarterback historically. And then again, you have an idea of how to rate these different metrics and attributes. So trying to be clear, trying to be precise, trying not to back into things. If you're going to use analytics, that's the way you have to do it. That's the way you want people to be able to not only take away 
looking at the ranking, but being able to make adjustments on their own and figure things out on their own going forward. That's what we have to do in real analytics as opposed to, again, some of the, the pseudo analytics and pseudo numbers that may be out there for us all to see. All right, before we get to the week one previews slash bets that I like this week, we're going to talk DraftKings. Get ready. This is going to be pretty appropriate here for something to hear. So get ready for week one action. DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. Bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. And now everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. Get up seven, you win. Bet on any NFL team of your choice. And if your team leads by seven points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code PFF, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 and over in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for terms and resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee red line at 1-800-889-9798. And in New York, call 877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. One per customer. Minimum $5 deposit and wager. $200 is issued as eight free $25 bets. Okay. Week one is upon us. Thank God. And searching through the different point spreads for this week, there's been a lot of movement. The um, The Chiefs have gone versus the Cardinals have gone from two and a half up to around six. Many others have moved in the other direction. I'm actually going to go go against some of the quote-unquote sharp movement, presuming that it's based upon sharp movement for some of these bets, and and look at what may be worthwhile. I think it's interesting, the Steelers and what's going on there. Today it is confirmed that Mitch Trubisky will be the starter, and that was probably baked in as well as it could be into the line beforehand. This originally opened as a six-point favorite for the Bengals at home. It's gone to 6.5, which is, you know, a key half point going, you know, six is a very common score differential there. So it means something. I just do not get this decision for Mike Tomlin. I like Mike Tomlin, but I think he's falling into this old-school quarterback evaluator type of mentality where you're going to want to take the certainty of the rookie. But the reality is this is a team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they made the playoffs last year. They're probably thinking, let's try and make the playoffs this year. And Trubisky is going to be the way to do it. But guess what? You go to the betting markets and they are minus 450 to, to make the, um, to make the playoffs this year. If you want to bet on them to make the playoffs, you're going to have, you're going to get a pretty good odds on that. It basically means the implied odds. I'm sorry. It's not minus 450. It's plus 450 to, to, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, to make, to make the playoffs. So you're getting, it's basically saying it's about a 20% chance that they're going to make the playoffs this year. Is that something that you really want to lay down on and say, let's potentially stunt or at least not accelerate the development of our rookie quarterback who was a super senior, who's an older rookie quarterback. Let's give all these practice reps to Mitch Trubisky, who comes in at 30th in my quarterback rankings of all 32 team. So you're locking yourself into a guy with much longer of a performance history, much less likelihood of taking a step forward this year. Who's probably a top bottom five quarterback. You're locking yourself into that play. How is that going to help you defy the odds to get into the playoffs, defy the odds that are telling you right now, you have less than a 20% chance of getting into the playoffs. How is Mitch Trubisky going to help that? It's just not. And this reminds me a little bit. I'm not saying it's an exact 
analogy, but it reminds me a little bit of 2017 when in the offseason, believe it or not, there was a question for the Houston Texans of starting Tom Savage or starting Deshaun Watson. Even DeAndre Hopkins weighed in, was all about Savage, was was for Savage starting there. And Watson probably even looked worse during the preseason than uh, Kenny Pickett looked, who you know acquitted himself pretty well, who was getting the ball out quickly, who didn't make any turnover-worthy plays, who was moving the ball down the field, was moving in the pocket pretty well. So Watson probably even worked, looked worse than that. But more importantly... You should just know that development is not linear just because you're not seeing X bar that you want in practice or in the preseason where there might be slightly below or somewhat below the veteran player that you're seeing at that point in time. Development is not linear. What you're going to see the next week or the week after from the rookie could be much, much, much better than what you had seen in the past versus the veteran who is who he is. We have thousands of dropbacks for Mitchell Trubisky being who he is. We know who he is. So I think it's very much like with the Texans, they decided we're gonna, our number 12 pick overall, Deshaun Watson, we're not going to start him. We're going to give all these practice reps to Tom Savage. Going to bring him in week one against the Jaguars. He plays. You're down 19-0 at halftime. And you give Savage the hook and you throw your rookie out there. Not only does he not have the practice reps, but he wasn't really necessarily, who knows if he was in mentally prepared to come in after this big, long quarterback competition, one player gets it, gets the nod. I mean, I think it's not out of the realm of possibility with the Steelers being a six point underdog, five and a half, six point underdog against the Bengals in Cincinnati that we see Pickett in the second half of this game. And why do that when you could be giving him all of the starter reps, when you could just be moving forward at this point? I know you don't want to have to go back to Trubisky after putting Pickett in there, but why should you worry about things like that? This is not a credible playoff season for your team to go very far, at least, even if you do sneak into the playoffs. Working towards the future, working for the upside, there really isn't any case to go with Trubisky here. And again, it's going to be, you know, either halftime or the end of week one or maybe the end of week two. You're going to turn to pick it anyway within a few weeks. Why not just do it right now? It really makes absolutely no, no sense to me. And that's one of the reasons why, again, I have a little bit of a lean here on the Bengals, um, depending upon what sort of pricing you can get on them. I prefer six versus six and a half. Now that's gone out to six and a half. Maybe I would, I would lean off of it, but there's no evidence that Trubisky is helping this Pittsburgh Steelers team. Even with that news that came out today that he is going to start. All right, let's talk a uh, Thursday night kickoff game. That's going to be a game of interest for everyone. It's a little bit difficult here because the Buffalo bills are a two and a half point favorite. It opened at one. The bills have moved to two and a half. And what's interesting to me is that, the Bills are not only seen as being the best team in the NFL, they're seen as being not head and shoulders, but maybe just head above everyone else in the NFL. A friend of the pod, Ben Baldwin, puts together numbers based upon the market and what it says about a team and how they look on a neutral field Uh versus a league average team what you would expect the point spread to be here and the bills at over six on here are not only number one but no other team whether it's the chiefs the bucks the rams who are of course their opponent in this game those other top top teams there those are the other top teams in the league no one else is even more than you know 4.6 4.7 points better so we have the Bills a clear tier above the entire rest of the NFL. That seems like a little bit of a stretch to me. Now, the Bills, according to my adjusted numbers for last year, the Bills did have the best number as far as how often they were outperforming and the real kind of adjusted point differential for any team last year. I don't think they necessarily got worse or better in the offseason, although I do think Tredavious White missing and out on PUP is going to affect them in week one. The blocking is not great. Not great for 
uh, Josh Allen up front, although he's shown an ability to avoid pressure and still perform pretty well there. So maybe it won't be the biggest downside for him. But I think there are just too many ways here, whether it's Cup and Allen Robinson being able to dominate the Bills secondary or whether it's a potential to get a mistake or two out of Josh Allen, who was very up or down in the regular season last year. It just seems a little bit heavy to me, two and a half towards the Bills. I mean, I don't think it's going to get the three. Three would just be like smashing the button there on on the Rams. But there's too much momentum, I think, towards the Bills being that much better than the rest of the league, where they can go into Los Angeles on the road and end up being nearly – not quite, but nearly a three-point favorite, um, despite the fact that the Rams are also one of the best teams in the NFL. So I think the Rams plus two and a half would be the preferred market right there. Okay, this one's not going to be very popular, but another one that pops up on the radar is the Washington, I was about to say football team, but the good old Commanders as a two and a half point favorite now. Now, this is one where, the quote-unquote sharp money has been coming in on the Jaguars because I believe it was three and a half at one point. It definitely was three very recently, and now it's gone under two and a half. So that three is a huge, huge, huge key number. So the fact that it's under three makes me want to lean towards the commanders here. And this is really going to be a situation where, A, Carson Wentz is bad or not great, but better than... Taylor Heineke, I mean, he comes in as being like the 23rd, 24th best quarterback, according to my rankings and my projections going forward based upon his sample history, whereas Heineke would have been more like 28th or 29th if he was in the equivalent spot. So you're getting a little bit of an upgrade there. And if you think about Wentz this year versus last year, I know everyone hates Carson Wentz, but the Washington football team was fourth in pass protection grading last year versus 23rd for the Colts. Everyone thought that Carson Wentz was going to be getting this good protection for the Colts. Didn't end up happening. He's going to have better protection this season to avoid some of those drastically bad plays that he can make sometimes. And also on the defensive side of things, when it comes to, um, when it comes to the command, Sorry, I had a cough there. Um, when it comes to commanders, their defense fell off last year, but almost entirely because of third down issues. So explosive plays, third down issues. And as Carson Wentz knows well, from the fact that his 2017 outlier performance on the positive side was mostly based upon um, third down success, third down performance is not very sticky. Not as sticky as first and second down performance. The commander's defense, as far as giving up first down conversions, on first and second down, top 10 defense, top 8-ish sort of defense. Third down was the fourth worst in the NFL. Um, Fourth down was the fourth worst in the NFL, giving up over 65% fourth down conversion rate. And the story out of Washington is that It was a lot of communication breakdowns. Now, you don't know whether that'll happen again or not, but that's probably one of the quickest things that you can turn around if you can get that communication right, as opposed to a lack of talent, because this was a talented defense that performed very well the year before. This was a defense who brought in William Jackson, signed him to a three-year, $40 million contract, and then saw Jackson's coverage grade drop from 75 down to 59 year over year. That's something that has a potential to bounce back. And... We are talking about defensive performance generally, which is not as sticky. On third down in particular, not as sticky. But they were still getting pressure last year. They were top 10 in pressure and in quick pressures, which can continue this year and I think can give Trevor Lawrence some trouble. I mean, I think Jacksonville is going to be a lot better this year. They brought in some more pieces. There's a potential for a second-year leap from Trevor Lawrence. But I don't know if we've seen enough to – project that type of leap forward and I'm always going to be fading at least initially in the season until we have some real evidence some real regular season evidence the type of projections we're going to be doing with some teams here where there's just an an assumption of a stayed steady case of defensive underperformance for the commanders and then there's an assumption of a leap forward for the Jaguars both of those things I think can be slightly off and that's going to say Washington they only need to win by a field goal here. It seems like a good play. 
especially to fade what some consensus thinking that's going a little getting a little too far ahead of itself at this point. Okay, we talked about Tannehill earlier as being the 10th best quarterback according to my Bayesian rankings. Now, again, I don't think he's actually 10th best, but Daniel Jones projects as the 31st. So the second worst starter next to Geno Smith. And the reason is we have four years now, or we're going into, I should say, the fourth year of Daniel Jones being basically a full-time starter the entire time, other than some time that he had missed. And once you have that degree of evidence, I know we have a new coach, we have a new system, all that stuff. Once you have that degree of evidence, you can be very confident that he's not the guy. It's possible he can turn around. It's happened a few times before. It's happened with a Vinny Testaverde. It's happened with a Jeff George. Does Daniel Jones have the type of talent that those guys did? Maybe. And even if he does have a turnaround like they did, it wasn't like they were elite quarterbacks going forward. So you have that also out of the range of, range of outcomes. So that's why I'm fading a bit the Giants going into this year. And I'm buying a bit of Tannehill, who he's going to be missing A.J. Brown, but he's missed A.J. Brown for stretches before because he's been an oft-injured type of player. And if you think about just the Giants generally, what's not being talked about enough for them probably because there is some hype around Brian Dable being in there, a new offensive system. What can he do with him with what he did with Josh Allen before? What's not being talked enough about this is the Giants are not tanking because they don't want to. They're not tanking because they really can't. You know, they ideally, I think, would be stripping the roster down even more now closing the book on the Dave Gettleman failed rebuild that he came in and started off in was it 2017. Well, definitely with 2018 with the Saquon Barkley pick, they would be turning the corner on that much more than they could. And there are, there is some evidence that they're turning the corner on that by cutting James Bradbury and taking a $12 million cap hit to do so by cutting Logan Ryan and taking an $11 million cap hit to do so by cutting Blake Martinez and taking a seven and a half million dollar cap hit to do so. Those are out there. But then you look at the rest of their roster. There are so many guys I think would be gone if it wasn't for the fact that not only is there not much cap savings for getting rid of them for the giants, there would be massive negative cap savings so the dead money is more than they're even what their cap hit is is this season kenny galladay has 14 million over his cap number his dead money is right now leonard williams who they probably want to keep williams but still 38 million that's probably the one thing that got going on there is defensive interior there, his his cap hit is 38 million over uh dory jackson 18 million over and, you know, they're not going to cut Andrew Thomas, but he's another guy who's a huge cap hit over. Sterling Shepard over. All of these different guys who are probably guys that they could get rid of. You know, Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones left on those rookie contracts where they're just going to kind of let those play out. This is a soft tank job here for the Giants. And while there's a chance that they can perform a bit better than you'd think, we have some history if we look at the 20, what was it? The 2017 um, Buffalo Bills, when they ended up going through and making the playoffs, despite the fact that they were kind of soft tanking there uh, also. So there is some history of something like that that happening. But this Giants team, I just people really don't appreciate what the downside can potentially here, be here with the fact that Jones is just not going to be that guy. Um, the Titans, I know you lost Harold Landry, ACL injury. The pass rush is not great before, but their secondary had always played pretty well. They're going to be at home. They're only a five and a half point favorite here. And the success rate for the Titans dropping back to pass last year was still 10th, despite the fact that their EPA wasn't that great. Tannehill's efficiency wasn't that great, but he had, again, a, a factor running against him with fumbles. He had 10 fumbles. Only one of them was recovered by the Titans. Hopefully he won't fumble again that much, although he, he does have a tendency to fumble. But that recovery rate of 10% is going to be higher, almost guaranteed this year, which is going to boost his performance a bit this season. 
And then hopefully Traylon Burks and Robert Woods and others who are coming in, while they're not going to replicate what you could get from A.J. Brown, A.J. Brown would miss some time and he can give the offensive weapons there. So according to my numbers, Tennessee should be more like an eight-point favorite as opposed to a five-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Um, So I am definitely going to take them there. The last one that I have here, this one I'm a little bit scared of. It's probably only a lean. Again, it's another one that's moving against the direction that now I find it playable at this point. And that is the New England Patriots plus three and a half at the Miami Dolphins. Just a lot of negativity around the Patriots. Again, I told you before in a prior podcast, my level of worry here is probably around a three out of 10 when it comes to what's going on with the offensive situation, what's going on in the preseason with Mac Jones not playing very well. But the the fundamental piece is there. They still have a pretty good offensive line. You could say the receivers aren't good, but this is kind of the receiver core that they put together last year where Mac Jones played well. Uh, mix in Devontae Parker and then not week one because he's out, but eventually mix in Tyquan Thornton. Uh, it's not great, but it's not worse than it was last year. The defensive side of the ball is what's going to concern me. And I think what's going to be concerning, especially going against this revamped offense for the Miami Dolphins. So I'll admit this is more of a lean than anything else. But once it got up to three and a half, there was just too much value there for teams. According to my numbers, both of them are slightly better than league average types of teams. Miami, a little bit better with the additions that they had this season than the Patriots, but not enough to get over that key three number, and especially not enough to get up to three and a half. So that would be the last one that I have there. So just to quickly recap, for this week and we will discuss all of this and more uh next monday for sure but then also the the kickoff game on friday my leans here would be the rams at plus two and a half the patriots at plus three and a half and then a couple of stronger ones here is taking the washington commanders minus two and a half and the tennessee titans Minus five and a half, all of them leaning against consensus. So I know it's not going to be the most popular pick for a lot of people, but I think that's the fair way to go, at least for week one, and then quickly update our priors going forward. Okay, thanks everyone for tuning in. You got any comments, go ahead and leave them on the YouTube, leave them on Apple Podcasts. Otherwise, I'll be talking to everyone at 9 a.m. on YouTube, and then later on in the day, I'll get uploaded into your podcasts on Friday morning to discuss the highly anticipated kickoff game between the Bills and the Rams, and then also talk about any other news that may be going into this weekend. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in, and I'll be talking at everyone then. Thanks so much.